for this morning, like I mentioned, we're going to be continuing on uh, by taking a look at prayer. And so if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll also be touching on Romans chapter 12 a bit this morning. Uh, Some various other passages kind of looking and considering uh, what prayer is and how it impacts us, uh, how we're able to focus on it, uh, and what it really does in changing us uh, and transforming us. Last week when we started this, um, the base thing for, for last week was really this consideration of who are you praying to. Uh, just this acknowledgement but that before you enter into prayer, just to, to take a moment and, and to consider that, that I'm about to speak to the creator of the universe that spoke all things into existence, uh, to the God of heaven, to my rescuer, my savior, to who Jesus, who walked on the dusty streets uh, of Jerusalem, who died for our sins, that, that we're speaking to him in the way that he asks us to. Uh, as his brother, in in order to call God Abba, our dad. And so it's a personal relationship, uh, but also a powerful relationship because of who God is and then also what he's made us to be through redemption and salvation. We find that through that our our lives are supernatural and that we're new creations. The whole idea of prayer is something that's supernatural. Communication, talking to one another— uh, that's something that, you know, we've kind of learned from birth. You know, when you first have the, the cute baby that, that you swear its first words is dada. You know, like, oh, I said dada, it's in my name. But really it was just like da 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 you know, and it's in there somewhere. But that, that attempt at communication uh, of talking where they, they imitate those around. Uh, communication is uh, all around us uh, through typing and texting and phone calls and face-to-face and video calls, like, like all these things. And it just is common to us. But then you get to this point of, I'm now communicating with God. I, I'm now talking with God. And he's actually going to listen to me. He's going to answer my prayers. He actually cares about, like, what's going through my life. And so it's just this a miraculous, supernatural existence uh, of this communication. Uh, and that through this sa- supernatural gift of prayer, uh, we find that it actually changes us. It actually transforms us uh, as we do this. And so uh, we'll get into Matthew chapter 6. Uh, but before we do, let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you this morning. Uh, And I pray that you help us to set aside all distractions. That you help us to be at peace within ourselves as we sit here and submit ourselves to your holy word and to the way that you've created us to be, the way that you've designed us to be transformed by your spirit, the the way the supernatural gift of prayer works in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, I pray that you give us a hunger for prayer that it would become a regular aspect of our life. We see so many verses that say pray without ceasing and all things that we do to to pray. And yet it's something we turn to when we're at the end of our rope, but what if it was something we turn to continually? Not doing it perfectly, but just doing it to be near you and to have your work done in us. And so I pray that you would guide us this morning that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, uh, that you would encourage us uh, and set our hearts on fire. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we started to look at this passage last week in Matthew chapter 6, uh, again, ver- beginning in verse 9. It says, pray then like this. And so this is Jesus' uh, instruction to those who are asking, how do we pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, and so we began by looking at the first part. There's really two parts to this prayer. The, the first one is beginning of acknowledging who God is. And that's what we looked at last week. Hallowed be your name. You are God. You are Lord. You are holy. And I submit myself before you. That's the first part of this prayer. But the other aspect of this prayer really begins by acknowledging our place before him. By saying, hallowed be your name, we're declaring that you are Lord, but then also in that, I I am your servant. Like, I humbly submit myself to you as Lord. Your kingdom come. Instead of saying, well, I want my kingdom, I want my ways, I want to build up my stuff. It is a setting aside of that and saying, I'd rather have your kingdom. I'd rather submit to your ways. And in this is a beginning of the renewal of our mind. And in that, a practical outworking uh, of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. It's, it's one of the memory verses that we kind of turn to. Uh, it uh, starts in verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in the view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Uh, and so just that first verse, again, is saying, like, like our lives purchased by the blood of Christ, for those of us who have been redeemed, our sins forgiven, we have our hope anchored in all of eternity in heaven. For, for us who have been purchased by that blood, uh, our bodies, our lives, our time, our strength, our energy, our passions are to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That, that our lives, again, are not our own, but, but rather something that's to be laid out for the glory of God because we are a new creation. He's redeemed us and transformed us and given us uh, a purpose anchored outside anything this world can offer. And in doing this, in verse 2, it says, do not be conformed to this age. Do not be conformed to the society around us, to, to the common goals and passions, and pursuit of the world around us. Don't be conformed to what they place their hope in. We see the result of placing hope in politics and just the chaos that's in our country right now. We see the the hope being placed in health and the fear that's been spreading this entire last year because of a pandemic that is coming across. Now, we need to be safe, we need to be wise, but our trust needs to be in Jesus Christ and recognizing that if we're in Christ, death is only a vehicle that ushers us into the very presence of the kingdom himself. And so again, we live our lives as a sacrifice, laying it all out in order to worship, our true worship unto God. Not conforming to this age, In fact, that whole idea of our lives are not our own is opposite to what we see. There's so much out there that says, uh, do what you love. Pursue what your passion is. Be who you want to be. And what we see Christ telling us is, follow me. Lay down your life. 
those who will pick up their cross and follow me. Those are the ones that have that everlasting hope in Christ. And so we do this, not conformed to this age, but in verse 2 here, being transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Uh, the chapter, verse 1 here and half of verse 2 is really calling us to what we are to be, living our lives as a, a sacrifice. Uh, that's our true worship. To live that way, to be not conformed to this age. That, that's what we're called to be through the blood of Christ and the work that he gave us uh, through salvation and the calling uh, to be ambassadors in this world, uh, to be his followers, to be salt and light. This, this is what he's calling us to do. But in order to do this, it's saying be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is where it gets difficult for us. Each one of us has our own walk with Christ. Uh, some of us may have found uh, salvation at a younger age. Uh, others of us, uh, it might be later on in life. Uh, maybe we found salvation and then we've just been passive for a number of years and we feel this stirring and desire to follow after God uh, within us. And it's a really walking away from that mentality that conforms to this world that's difficult for us. Because when you think about who we are in Christ, we are new creations. A couple weeks ago, we, we looked at the church being supernatural, and we're called to be more than conquerors in this world, even if we face death. The fact that we carry around the light of God. Or, or just the simple truth that through salvation... God has chosen to adopt you as a son or daughter and then to give you the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish as well. How often do we live that way according to that truth? That when we walk into a difficult situation, that we walk into it with full confidence of, if God is for me, who can be against me? That when we face temptations, that we're not sitting there saying, well, I'm just weak and it's only a matter of time before I fall into this and I just don't have the strength to, re to resist it. Instead saying, no, more than conquerors. Or 1 Corinthians, uh, Corinthians it says there's no temptation that is not common to man and God will provide a way of escape. That we can sit there and pray with authority. That we can do spiritual warfare. We don't live this way often or consistently. And I think the reason is, is this transforming of the mind has not happened fully yet. We have it in little spurts here as the grace of God empowers us in situations where we need him because we can't accomplish it. But this transforming of the mind is this consistent walking away from the identity of the world, the goals and values of the world, the idea of strength or success, the definitions that the world puts on what a man or woman should be, a husband or father should be. It's walking away from that and walking more fully in the identity that Christ died to give you. And we need to transform our minds. It is walking away from that and accepting this truth. And it's a battle that we fight throughout the rest of our life here on earth. 
But I think here that prayer, and especially through uh, looking at the Our Father prayer, that we begin to see that prayer itself transforms us. And so a practical outworking of Romans chapter 12 where it says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to say that it's prayer that is a huge part of the renewing of our mind, of that transformation. Because it's acknowledging who God is and then who I am before him. We're facing a, a situation in our life. What, what do I do? Which way do I go? Through prayer, we acknowledge, let your kingdom come. Not my will be done, but yours on earth as it is in heaven. So God, which one is according to your will and which one's just trying to build my own kingdom? Through that prayer, we begin to submit and have the renewing of our mind practically outwork in our day-to-day, moment-by-moment situations that we face. And as we do this, Our minds are transformed. As we do this, we begin to discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. In fact, that's the next part in Matthew 6. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so through this prayer, it's a choice of saying, God, what is your will? We, we look through the Word and we understand much of that, but there's also the, the leading of the Holy Spirit that we seek and what He calls us to do. But it's also through that prayer that, that we are setting down our desires. We're submitting our lives to the will of the Heavenly Father. And it might be in circumstances that we do not understand. We do not know what he's doing in the current moment. We may find ourselves in life where it is confusing. Or the situation with our job or the security that we thought that we had in certain things has been shaking. It's very much the last year that we've been through. God, what's going on with this? Why are we going through this? What are you doing in it? We may not have had all the answers. We certainly didn't have uh, as many answers as we do now as we did at the beginning of 2020. But the aspect of this prayer is saying, God, you carry us through this. And you promise in Romans chapter 8 that you will work out all things for good for those who love you. And and so, God, we know that you're going to use this year, coronavirus, the, the political season that we've been going through, anything that we might face in 2021. You will use this for our good because we love you. Now, we may not know what that good is. And in our immature, selfish humanity, we may want to choose what we think good is. Oh, just let there be peace. Let it be the president that I want it to be. But yet, submitting to your will being done on earth as it is in heaven sets aside our preferences. Sets aside, oh, I would really like it to be, this is the good. And in doing so, we just determine for ourselves what is good. Instead of saying, God, what's your will? And let me just humbly submit to it. And whatever you have. Talking about political leaders, you know, you look at Romans chapter 13, and, and here uh, Paul is saying to uh, be obedient to those who are in authority and, and to listen and obey. He was talking about Nero at that time nothing compared to anything that we face within our current country 
And he's, yet he's saying, as long as they're not saying something contrary to the will of God, obey, because they're put into place by God himself. That's a challenge for a lot of people in our country right now, to look at that truth. But what this is saying, what the model prayer that Jesus has given to us is to say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And even in that, acknowledging our sense of what is right and good, that's from our human perspective. We may not fully know what God is doing in a situation or how he will use a current situation for good. And so what is transforming our mind, instead of conforming it to the world that says, well, I didn't get my way, so therefore this must not be God's will, Our mind is transformed to God says he will use all things for good for those who love him. And so even though I may not know how God will use this current situation for good, I trust him because I love him. Your will be done. And show me how to walk this out faithfully and humbly because you are the one on the throne for all of eternity. And you will use the rulers and authorities of of our nation of this world for your own purposes and fulfilling your kingdom. Right there, it's a challenge. It's hard for us to do. When we might imagine how things may go and what may happen, the differences between two political systems, it can be hard for us to set that aside, but in doing so, we're no longer being conformed to this world. We're transforming our mind and saying, God, your will be done. And I'm going to have joy in this. Because James says to have joy in all trials. First Peter says it's a refining aspect of our faith. And then when we go through these times of difficulty, we walk out on the other side, refined more as gold and our faith before God is stronger in order to face whatever may come. But it's a choice to be transformed and through prayer and saying to God, I don't understand exactly what is happening right now, but Lord, I trust you. Show me how to be salt and light in the world. We're allowing him to work in our minds. We're allowing him to transform us, to use us for his will, for his purposes instead of our own. It may not be pleasant for us, It may mean persecution for us. It may mean death for us. It certainly does for brothers and sisters and other aspects of our world. But Jesus himself set the example on the night that he was betrayed in Luke chapter 22 where they left dinner after communion was established. And they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he knows that Judas is about to come and betray him. And he's going to be arrested and he knows this is the moment leading up to his very own death. And he asks them to pray. And then in verse 41, as Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and began to pray, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He was knowingly facing his death. The prophecy in Isaiah would say that the Savior was going to be beaten to almost unrecognizable. And we see that happen in the brutality of the Roman soldiers. 
Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the ones that inspired that prophecy. Even the fact that he was to be hung on a tree, on a cross, was foretold in prophecy. Jesus knew exactly what was in store for him. Knew that it would be unpleasant. Knew that it would be persecution. Knew that it would be pain and death. And despite that, here was saying, Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Acknowledging, I'd rather not go through this difficult aspect. Being fully human, fully experiencing every ounce of pain. If there's a different way, take this cup from me. But again, not my will. Not my aversion to pain. Not my aversion to the difficulties that I'm about to face. But rather, let your will be done. The will of a Savior coming to humble himself to the point of death, treated as a criminal, considering others' needs greater than our own, as Dale aptly pointed out in Philippians this morning. Here, Jesus was using prayer to help him be resolved, to be anchored in the will of of the Father. We can do the same thing and it transforms us. The more that we just simply come and say, God, what's your will in this situation? Not mine, but yours. Just these simple prayers of, of coming and acknowledging our circumstance, which God already knows, but saying, I don't want to do this in my own strength. I don't want to do this in humanity. I don't want to do this as the world would do this. Instead, I, I want to follow you as my Lord and my Savior wherever that takes me, whatever I must face. And it's the act of prayer that practically helps us to transform our mind. In Romans chapter 12, discerning and knowing what the perfect and pleasing will of God is. The Matthew chapter 6, the model prayer continues. Give us this day our daily bread. And that's even submitting a trust into Jesus as our Lord and Savior for our own physical needs. This, this sense of like, well, I'm not going to try and pursue uh, my sense of security according to the world's standards by having X, Y, Z so that I feel comfortable and safe and I have a full belly but rather saying, I'm going to seek the kingdom first, as you teach in Matthew chapter 6, prior to this prayer, I'm going to seek the kingdom first, and I'm going to trust that all these other things are added to me. Meaning my priority is the kingdom. It doesn't mean that we get up in the morning and we're like, oh, I'm not going to worry about going to the grocery store because if I spend four hours in prayer, uh, some food will show up on my doorstep. It might happen, it might happen. In fact, uh, there's a, a pastor in Marshfield uh, that I had the privilege of getting to know, and he um, had fled. He was a refugee from an African country, and I don't remember which one, um, but he was living in a refugee camp uh, because they were fleeing the persecution and, and what was happening where they were at. So they're living in a uh, refugee camp. They didn't have any food. In order to get food in the camp, uh, you had to go stand in line for hours uh, in order to get the food for your family. And you had to do it every day. Go stand in line for hours, and, and then you get your little packet of food, and you can take it back to your family. And that's like your existence as you're waiting to be able to be transferred or, or find a way out of that. And so he, he was telling me this story 
Uh, he had so many stories. At one point, you know, threatened with death. But on this particular day, he's going to go get in line to, to get the food for his family. And instead, he feels like God says, um, I want you to go talk to this person over here about me. And so he's faced with a choice there. Do I conform myself uh, to the age of this world, to the mentality of, well, I need to be in line for my family? Or, or do I go and do what I feel like God's will for me to do is and, and speak to this person? And so he tells me that he goes and he ends up speaking to them uh, for so long. And it was such a blessing to them to find hope in Christ. That he goes back and the line's now closed. And he can't get food for his family. And, and so he goes back home and he's like, well, I just got to tell my wife, like, this awesome thing happened and I was able to share Jesus with these people, but I don't have food. And he gets back and dinner is ready because God had put it on somebody else's heart to grab extra food for them and bring it over. And so that can happen. What this verse is saying is to seek the kingdom first. Let the kingdom be our priority. Our minds transformed. We're no longer conformed to the world. Our priority is the kingdom, and we trust in Christ, even for our daily provision. And in doing so, we're actually guarding against self-reliance. We're guarding against self-idolatry. This idea that we tend to get where I'm my provider. And so therefore, I have to work this way. I have to provide this. And, and then when things get difficult, or we lose a job, or a bonus falls through, or whatever else, when that falls through, it will shake us because then we're like, what are we going to do? But if we can transform our minds through this prayer, through this prayer of God, I trust you for my provision, then it turns into, uh, I may work at Target, but that's God's provision through Target. God's paying me through Target's checkbook. I'm just being faithful here. And if Target falls through, then God's going to pay me. He's going to provide through me through something else. And that's where our trust is. It's not in the job that we've held that we're hoping to retire in. Uh, this city has learned that through GM, certainly. But it's a transforming of our mind by praying and trusting God for our daily physical protection and uh, physical needs. Um, even with that, the protection, we, we ask God for it. But Jesus was saying, not your will be done. And it led to death for him. And so even our idea of preserving our life, brothers and sisters are martyred around the world. You look at Hebrews chapter 11 and it talks about the heroes of faith and, and here's these people who receive their children back from the dead and it's like this awesome, amazing aspect of those who had faith in Christ. You continue reading on that passage and it takes this turn where like, uh, and some were sawn in two. But yet, they gave to the glory of God because they held not their lives as their own. Uh, and so even our sense uh, of personal protection uh, it can be a mindly earth set, uh, earthly mindset at times by saying, well, I want to be safe. And yet we look throughout Scripture where people were beaten for sharing their faith. And yet they gave God glory in that because they knew that Jesus had told them that they would be persecuted because they followed him. It's a challenging thing because we want to be safe. 
We don't like the idea of there being personal harm done to us. But yet Jesus has said, you are not of this world as I am not of this world, and they will hate you because you follow me. And so it's a transforming of our mind that is this acknowledgement to God, your will be done, not my own. Let me not be so anchored to this world that because of fear, I deny Jesus or I deny the kingdom or I stop seeking the kingdom first. Prayer helps us to acknowledge that, to pray that way, to submit to the will of God so that when the circumstances do come, we are rooted in prayer and a personal relationship with Jesus so that we walk in faith regardless of what happens. Prayer in Matthew 6 continues, Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. In this, it is acknowledgement of our spiritual need of God's forgiveness. We're acknowledging you are the Lord. You're the one that I've sinned uh, against, and yet you have forgiven me, even though I haven't done anything to deserve it. It's an acknowledgement of who he is, and again, our own humble place before him that helps us to be anchored in the kingdom instead of this world. It also helps us uh, to forgive our debtors. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. That's a hard passage. But it's a truth that we need to press into and understand. It doesn't mean that if somebody has abused us or, or damaged us or has done something so terrible to us that we pretend as though it never happened. But it is a forgiveness and giving up of our sense of right for retribution and vengeance. To say, they did this to me and so therefore I deserve to get some sense of justice right here and right now, or vengeance, or I'm going to treat them in a way that is not Christ-like because that's what they deserve. But here, what it's saying is we have been forgiven by God even though we didn't deserve. We did no good to be deserved to be forgiven by God. And He has forgiven us and we are no longer set up for vengeance because we are sinners and rebels to God, but rather now we're considered to be adopted into His family. And so in this, it is a transformation from the worldly mindset that holds on to grudges, that holds on to wrongs, that says, I deserve retribution. I deserve this in this life. And instead it goes on to saying, I let it go. Because I trust God for vengeance. I trust God for justice. And in fact, the person that harmed me so much, I would love for them to find Jesus as Savior and Lord and their own sins forgiven. Even the sins that they committed against me. That is a hard thing to do if we're rooted in humanity. It's a hard thing to do if we're rooted into a sense of man's justice and earthly justice. But we transform our mind by being willing to forgive others as we have been forgiven. Continues on into this, lead us not into temptation. 
And we need to acknowledge that God does not tempt us, but he allows it to happen. James 1.13 says, No one undergoing a trial should say that I'm being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But it's a statement of saying that as I go through this life, like, like God, I want to be led by you through the valley of the shadow of death into clear streams of water, into grasses of rich sustenance. I want to be led by you so much that when temptation to stray and to seek something else comes, that I'm so in tune, my mind's been so transformed away from this world that, okay, that's there, but I'm just going to keep following Jesus. In fact, I quoted this already, but in Corinthians chapter 10, 13, no temptation has come upon you, which is common to humanity, but God is faithful, will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will always provide a way out so that you will be able to bear it. And again, it's that sense of our mind being transformed. Conformed to the world says, well, here's this temptation, and I'm weak, and I can only resist it so long before I'm drawn to it like a moth to the flame. Our minds transformed by this is saying, God, I want to follow you so much. I want to seek the kingdom first so much that that all of my joys, all of my identity, all of my passions are anchored and rooted in the kingdom and a love for Christ so that when this comes up, I may be drawn to it, but my desire is to follow Christ even stronger. And we find the way of escape through following after him. And then to be delivered from evil. Again, it's this acknowledgement. We do not have the strength ourselves. It's this humble acknowledgement of our place before God that says, I can't do this on my own. I need you to deliver me from evil. I need you to give me the strength and the escape for temptation. I need you to help transform my mind so that I no longer conform to this world. It is looking to the transformational power of the Holy Spirit through salvation and then the ongoing sanctification as the Spirit works within us. Now, all these things are an acknowledgement of this new nature of our lives, that, that we live a supernatural existence. Ephesians 2 says that even as we're here in this room, we're, we're seated, seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus right now. That's a hard thing to, like, grasp, right? Like, you got those wood chairs under your butts. I got this creaky stage underneath me. Got this ache in my shoulder from the other day. Whatever else you might be feeling. But to think that right now, Jesus says we're seated with him in heavenly realms. When you wake up in the morning, when you go to your job, when you're at home with your family, when you're facing temptation, when you're having a conversation with people who have put so much trust in the world that they are shaken through the things that have been happening politically. Regardless of our situation, we are seated in heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. And we live that way sporadically. And I think the reason that sporadically, again, is because we are not consistent in submitting to have our minds transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we're no longer conformed to the world. Again, 
I think it's through consistent prayer. Consistently acknowledging God for who He is and then who we are in Him. By doing this, it helps to renew our minds. It transforms us from the inside out into to living for the Lord. This is where Romans chapter 12, verse 1 again says, In the view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true worship. Do not be conformed to the age. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We're to live in a way that isn't earthly because we're not part of this world. We've been radically transformed. Now, this aspect uh, of prayer at times, especially if it's something that uh, you are not uh, comfortable with. We all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different beliefs. For some people, their only prayer is the Our Father prayer or ritualized prayers that are said you know, say this one for this situation. Say this one to this saint for this situation. For some of us, um, we only pray when we find ourselves in a very deep need. And at that point, our only prayer is, God, help me. I don't know what to do. Those are good prayers. But what he's teaching here in Matthew chapter 6, again, we talked about it last week, just this aspect of our Father, our Dad. And if you have uh, a hard time relating to God as dad, I encourage you to listen to last week again. Because that aspect of that intimacy that he desires with us, uh, that ability to go to him in just an innocent and sweet and humble childlike way, that's what prayer is meant to be. When our kids come to us and, and they want something, uh, do we ask for them to say it in a specified, ritualistic, formal way? Please, Father, might I have a cookie? I'm sorry, you can't use might. You need to say may, so no. Like, we don't do that. We don't have an expectation. We, we want our children to come to us with whatever it is, regardless of their age. Like if they feel difficult, if they feel shame, if, if, if they're going through a difficult time as a teenager and they're like, well, what do I do in this situation? As parents, like our desire is to have a relationship to them at the point where they can come and say, you know what? I'm in a mess right now. I don't know what to do. I don't know. Like I hope you don't think poorly of me, but, but here, I wrecked the car. I did this. I did that. As parents, our desire out of love is just to have that relationship and say, okay, let's, let's work through this. It's the same thing with God. He already knows where you're at in your life. If you feel ashamed to go to him, he already knows why you feel ashamed. And he already died on the cross so that you wouldn't bear that shame anymore because he bore it for you. And the gift of prayer is that ability for you to walk away from being conformed to the world that says, I'm too dirty, I'm too sinful, I'm too weak, I'm too broken, I'm unlovable. We're transformed by being going to a God and saying, God, this is how I'm feeling. This is not what your word says. 
transform me and help me to acknowledge and accept the truth of what you did for me. Prayers don't have to be eloquent. They can be eloquent. There's nothing wrong with that. Prayers can be two words or they can be a hundred words. But a heartfelt prayer that goes to God humbly as we are and just says, God, I want your will to be done instead of mine is the prayer that God cherishes and the one that transforms our mind so that we're no longer conformed to the world. Let's pray. And Father, we come before you humbly as your children and you as our daddy. We thank you for rescuing us out of this world from sin and death and darkness. We thank you for the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. We acknowledge the truth that you have made us to be new creations through the blood of Christ. And we humbly ask forgiveness for when we do not consistently live that way. And knowing your character, your forgiveness, and your love, we trust in your mercy and your continued work in our hearts and our minds. Lord, let us no longer be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds to know what is the perfect and pleasing will of you. And help us to humbly submit to that in all things. To seek first the kingdom of heaven and trusting that all these other things will be added. That when we do not know what this year will hold before us, we know that you will use it for good. It may not be our definition of good. It may not be what we would prefer to go through. And it may not be comfortable for us. But Lord, we know that your will will not return void. That it will not be thwarted. And that your will is perfect, holy, just, and good. And in that we trust. And we trust it because of your Son who died for us and bought us out of this world. And in his name, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.